0: i am alexander badgett and you're listening to the bankster podcast the only podcast dedicated to the fascinating and the ever more consequential world of central banking i say that in every episode and it just seems to be getting more and more attention and being coming more and more consequential it's fun to see the central bank get so much local attention on levels that really haven't been seen But, anyways, a change in the guard of any organization is always accompanied with an invitation to take a look into the heart of that organization. The last year at the Federal Reserve, the central bank of the United States, has seen a lot of such changes. And I'd argue that the full change of the guard will be complete with the replacement of the current president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. In November, Bill Dudley announced that he would be retiring from his post as leader of the New York Fed in the summer of 2018. On today's episode, I'm hearkening back a bit to the roots and foundations of the Bankster podcast, summarizing, translating, and explaining the complexities of the central verse. Today's complexity, the New York Fed presidential selection process. This episode is especially timely, and not only due to the announcement of its conclusion just a few days ago, but also because the process was scrutinized and questioned more fiercely than in the past. So, first, I will break down the process, because so many people talk about the result and what happens at the end, but just as important as the end result is the process that led to it. But then, after that, I'll end the episode by pointing out the two biggest complaints and a few of the proposed amendments to the process. Now, before we begin, it's important to remember that the federal in Federal Reserve System comes from the combination of centralized government-appointed leadership in Washington, D.C. There's seven of them, and the somewhat independent reserve banks, 12 of those, spread geographically across the country. These somewhat independent reserve banks are chartered similarly to that of a regular corporation. There is a board of directors chosen in part by the shareholders of the Reserve Bank. The board of directors, in turn, chooses the executives. So when back in November, Bill Dudley announced he'd be leaving his post as the president of the New York Fed, we turned to the board of directors. As outlined in the Federal Reserve Act, most recently amended by the Dodd-Frank Financial Reform Act of 2010, there are to be nine directors at each reserve bank. They break down at the New York Fed as follows. So there's these nine directors broken up into three different classes, Class A, Class B, and Class C. And there are two characteristics that distinguish each of the three classes. The first is who chooses them, and the second is who they are to represent. So, for example, Class A are three bankers chosen by bankers in the area. So, at New York, those three bankers are the CEO of Morgan Stanley, uh, chosen by large banks, representing the banks, chairman of Valley National Bank, chosen by the medium-sized banks in the New York area, representing the the medium-sized banks, and the CEO of Solvay Bank, which was chosen by the small banks to represent the small banks on the board. Class B directors are made up of three leaders chosen by the banks to represent the public. Now, representing the public is included in the actual Federal Reserve Act, the original one. And in defining public, they say, including but not limited to agriculture, commerce, industry, services, labor, and consumers. So pretty broad range. But generally, they are leaders and executives of think tanks, of unions, of educational institutions, of manufacturing organizations, of farming, uh, farming coalitions, etc. So the three in New York... The three Class B directors in New York are the co founder of a financial services technology private equity firm, a CEO of a business software company, and the chairman of an aerospace and auto technology company. All right, so those are the three Class B directors. Those three are chosen by the banks, but they are to represent the public, so they cannot be bankers. Finally, Class C directors are leaders from the public that represent the public, but they're chosen by the board of governors at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Those consist of the founder and executive director of the Freelancers Union. There's the executive vice president of a community development organization. And finally, there's a founder and CEO of a community health and housing provider. All right. So there you have your nine director's of the board of directors of the New York fed the three bankers from class a remember those are the bankers chosen by bankers they do not get to participate at all in any way shape or form in the selection process for the president of the federal reserve bank of new york so that leaves six right so the three bankers chosen by bankers are gone but we still have the three the six public representatives, three chosen by the board, three chosen by the banks. So the eligible Class B and all of the Class C directors get to participate. Now, eligible Class B just means that they would be disqualified if they had some kind of conflict of interest with uh, the banking industry. The eligible Class B and Class C directors, they, the six of them, then get together and they decide on who will be on the committee. And it'll be this committee's job to do the actual search. So, they chose four, two Class B and two Class C directors. Then the committee goes to work. So, we started out with nine. Three were disqualified, because, or not disqualified, but three were not allowed to participate because they are bankers. The other six narrowed themselves down to four. And those four set up the committee that would search for the position of New York Fed president. Now, in the introductory video that these four uh, directors put together and the New York Fed published, they said a couple of things they said was they were looking for uh, someone that is both technical and personal, and that they'd be listening to communities and not just candidates. So what that last part there about communities and not just candidates is they went around and spoke to community groups. They have educational advisory groups that come and gave them uh, input on possibly candidates. They may have given recommendations for candidates, but they also may have been, have given recommendation on qualities that the search committee should keep in mind when doing this search for the position of president. So, they took a lot of advice. They did a lot of uh, meeting with a lot of different people. They also hired two external s- executive search firms. Um, one of them was uh, by the name of Spencer Stewart. This is a 70-year-old uh, global executive search firm uh, headquartered in New York City. Uh, the other search firm was one called Bridge Partners. This one was got a little bit more attention. It's a little bit newer, started just about 15 years ago. It's much smaller, but it has a specific goal, a specific mission of providing diverse candidates to board of directors. They Their goal is to place diverse candidates in executive positions. So those two executive search firms, all the conversations with the advisory groups, they go through many different lists of candidates, and ultimately those four people narrowed it down to just one. They selected John Williams, who is currently the president of the San Francisco Fed. So those four directors then take the name of John Williams back to the six directors that are allowed to participate in the selection process, and all six of them get to vote on whether they approve of John Williams. All six did, in fact, approve him. So the next step is John Williams' name gets sent to the Board of Governors. Now, the Board of Governors then gets to all vote on whether they approve the appointment of John Williams. Now, in the Federal Reserve Act itself, it says that the position of president is made quote with the approval of the board of governors of the federal reserve system that kind of shapes out in two different ways one which i just said which is all of the board of governors get to vote so that was currently only 3 of them but all 3 voted in favor but it also there's one other aspect that's important and that is that there is a a position within the board of governors there's an assignment that's given to one of the governors to be responsible for reserve bank affairs and That position holds extra weight in this conversation, uh, in a normal conversation about choosing a next president for one of the reserve banks, one of the 12 reserve banks throughout the country. It's important to note in this case that Jay Powell was in charge of the reserve bank assignment when Bill Dudley announced that he would be retiring this year. So he had an extra hand in it. Then he also had then an even bigger hand in it as chair. But so he was very in favor of it as far as all of the reporting has shown. And so with that final stamp of approval from the Board of Governors, the um, John Williams is approved. Now, A couple of quotes uh, in regards to what the act says about the with approval actually, what it actually means. Peter Conti Brown, one of my favorite Fed commentators, tweeted the following, quote, It's a maddeningly ambiguous legal structure that sometimes means a rubber stamp and sometimes means Board of Governor control. We could use some clarity, close quote. In that vein, Reuters reported on March 1st that, quote, Powell was playing a larger role than his predecessors in making his views known to the New York Fed, noting he stressed monetary policy expertise and discussed specific names. Close quote. So, although I am not privy to the inside conversations that took place within the walls of the Fed or with those who they interviewed, I can say that the conversations took place within the selection process framework that I've outlined here. Now, this framework caused... Two camps of complaints. The first was that John Williams was another older white guy selected to a leadership position within the Fed. Uh, this was especially sensitive with uh, with progressive groups, and it's partly a self-inflicted wound from the New York Fed. They made a really big push at the beginning of announcing that they were going to hire this uh, executive search firm that was focused on bringing diverse candidates. They made a really big push using the word diverse over and over again, and then selecting the insider older white guy was, uh, was going to get some backlash. So that's the first level of, uh, of complaints. The second was that John Williams doesn't have a market background. He doesn't come from Wall Street. He hasn't had any experience uh, on working on Wall Street. Um, John Williams, I'll do an episode in the future about his past and what people are saying about him, but really briefly, he was a PhD economics student under John Taylor at Stanford. John Taylor's very supportive of him. Uh, he went straight to the Board of Governors where he was a Fed economist there. He then went to the San Francisco Fed, uh, and was a research director there as well. Yeah, besides a brief stint at uh, in the federal government, which was quite brief, he's spent his entire career studying monetary policy and he's made quite a name for himself. He was Janet Yellen's, right hand man when she was president of the San Francisco Fed. Uh, but he hasn't spent time on Wall Street. Now, this camp of complaints, for the New York Fed is kind of puts the New York Fed in a damned if you do, damned if you don't position. If they had, they chose somebody that doesn't have experience. So they're getting this complaint of you chose someone that doesn't know what they're doing. If on the other hand, they had chosen somebody from Wall Street or with experience from Wall Street, then the complaints would have been the revolving door uh, regulatory capture complaints. So those are the two big complaints, which leads to the final segment of today's podcast. And that is, what were the recommendations for, for changing this long process? And I'll list four of them, none of which seem to have any potential uh, probability of being implemented in the near future. Uh, but politicians were talking about them, and it's important to, to make the list. So, number one from least- dramatic change was, uh, it was recommended that the New York Fed should have to release the candidate list. So they should have to give a list of 10 or 12 people that they were considering. The next level, was, and this was something that Elizabeth Warren recommended or asked for, she said that before the appoint, uh, the appointment was officially made, that the candidate should have to come to Congress and testify. The third is that uh, it was recommended that this candidate be confirmed by the Senate. So maybe the Board of Directors at New York uh, chooses the candidate, but then that that appointment is not finalized until it's confirmed by the Senate. And then finally, the most drastic is that the position of New York Fed, because it is so important, should be a presidentially appointed Senate-confirmed position. So those are the four were the four recommended changes to the process that were being discussed. And that's a wrap. I hope you were able to keep up today. There was a lot of information, and the process is anything but clear and concise. But of equal importance, as I said earlier, to the actual final decision is the process by which this decision was made. So when you hear about the outgoing or incoming president of the New York Fed, Bill Dudley and John Williams, you will now have some background on what went on behind the scenes for him to be selected. Now, speaking of explaining the complicated aspects of the Centralverse, I have some exciting news. My brother and I have been working very hard at creating the next chapter in the journey that began almost exactly two years ago with the first episode of this podcast. The next chapter will be found on www.centralverse.org. The site is still under construction, and that's pretty much all you'll see if you go there now. However, if you want early access to the beta version, send me an email. I can be reached at alexander at thebanksterpodcast.com. I'll be answering questions and announcing updates to the website here on this podcast at the end of each episode going forward. I'm super excited about what we're doing there. Imagine all of this conversation that we just had today about the complicated process of narrowing down who the board of directors are and which one of them can participate, which can't, how they select the position of president. I've got visuals and interactive graphics that we're going to be putting up on the website that I think is going to be a really excellent way It'll serve as not only an initial place to go and learn, but it'll serve as an excellent resource. Very easy to go back and when the next president of the next Federal Reserve announces they'll be retiring, you can go back to this page and you can remind yourself in an aesthetically pleasing way how this whole process works. Also, when people recommend changes to Fed processes, and there are many of them, uh, you'll be able to go and look, well, how does it work right now? eventually hopefully we'll have pages that explain and and visually describe some of the potential changes so i'm really excited like i said we've been working real hard on it and if you want to get in on the testing or at least you just want to take a peek at it before we go completely public uh like i said get in contact with me so that's it for today's episode it was written edited and produced by me alexander badgett go to www.thepanksterpodcast.com to sign up for both the show notes and then again to get in touch with me directly. Thanks to all of you for listening, and I'll see you next time on The Bankster Podcast.